Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Yours, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yes. Did you know that you have an iron deficiency? How so? I can tell because your shirts are all wrinkly. Oh, it took me a second. Um, I've got it now. (laughs) I'm still not laughing, but I have received the joke. (laughs) Do you have good news from the world for me, John? Not only do I have good news for you, Hank, I have an ongoing source of good news. I know that you have a Google Home, as I do. Mm-hmm. Starting now, if you ask Google Assistant, hey, Google, tell me something good, Google will provide you with good news, some oh. piece of good mm. news about how the world is getting better Beekeepers in East Detroit bringing back the dwindling bee population. Iceland curbing teen drinking with nightly curfews and coupons for kids to enroll in extracurricular activities, etc. I I like the coupons for extracurricular activities, but come on, let the kids go outside. I wonder if you could do it by singing to it. I wonder if you say like, hey, Google, tell me something good, if it'll still work. (laughs) I mean, there's only one way to find out, John. <laughs> uh, I unfortunately am not in a room with Google Home, but I, w- I will just say for people who's who are listening out loud in a room with Google Home, hey, Google, tell me something good. I think I actually like my version of singing that song better than I like your version. You know, it's not a competition, John. <laughs> not it, not every singing has to be rated. But if you go to uh, if you go uh, on my Twitter, I will post a, a a poll, and people can say which one they liked better. I was just pointing out that usually I'm overwhelmingly the the lesser singer, and I think at least that time I, I was you close. Did well. I was close. I think you did well. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good job. Let's answer some questions from our listeners. It sounds like a good plan. Uh, I do love our opening bits, though. I had a I had a good old time. This first question is a real doozy, and it comes from Kiki, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my name is Kiki, and I recently broke up with my boyfriend of a year and a half. 
It was pretty rough, and I ended up telling him that I didn't love him anymore. A couple of days later, Drake's In My Feelings came out. So my question is, how do you make a wildly successful pop song less successful so that your ex-boyfriend doesn't have to keep listening to Drake singing Kiki, Do You Love Me? approximately two million times a day. Best wishes, Kiki, who sadly does not love you. This is awful. Uh, Okay, so full disclosure, Hank, I am not familiar with this tune. Uh, Would you like me to perform it for you? Ideally not, but I'll... uh, Kiki, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me because I want you and I need you. You could see how Kiki's ex-boyfriend would be upset by this being on the radio all the time. I can't believe you haven't heard it. It's it's a huge, big hit. And people get they're in their car and they get out of their car to do a special wow. dance that I don't even think was Drake's idea. I think that was like an internet wow. thing. There's a special Kiki dance and you have to be outside of your car walking with your car because I guess... You're writing. I, it's unclear to me, but it's a meme. Kiki, if I were you, I would change your name and then mm-hmm. call your ex-boyfriend and say, update, Nicole doesn't love you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or if, like find somebody else named Kiki to just go on, just like, say, just like be like, look, I'm not going to date you, but I do, did want you to know that like I love, I love uh, all children of God, including you. Yeah, that's another thing you could do is make a best friend whose name is Kiki and then have them call your ex-boyfriend and say, I love you as a person, but just to be clear, not as a boyfriend. I I don't like what you did to Kiki. (laughs) Oh, gosh. There are those moments. This would be horrible, admittedly. I found that when I was exiting romantic relationships, a lot of things would have to change in my life in order for me to go through the grieving process. Like I would have to completely stop listening to the music that we listen mm-hmm. to as a couple. And I would also, in many cases, like have to move neighborhoods because I, I didn't want to go to the same sushi restaurant anymore. I didn't want to do the things that I had done. But the truth is, Kiki, when you first break up with someone, like when you're first in that period of grief and loss and mourning, you don't need Drake to remind you because no, you're always thinking of the person anyway. Yeah, it's anything will remind you of them. Uh, but but this does, you know, it, it reminds me that there are these moments in, in our lives where we will feel as if the universe is conspiring against us, as yes. if there, there, it was all a computer simulation in order to make us feel this feeling, because otherwise this seems impossibly vanishingly small probability for something like this to happen. But it had to happen to someone, because there are kikis out there, and they do break up from their boyfriends. It's a thing that was bound to happen, I guess, and it's sort of remarkable that we got to hear from one of them. Actually, what we need is a support group for all people who recently broke up with Kikis. <laughs> and just, and the knowledge that like, for and it's not just now because it's going to be for the rest of this person's life because this song is a big enough hit that it's going to be playing on radio stations in 30 years if there are still radio stations, which of course there won't be, but yeah. whatever. And... Uh, and and they will still have to be like, oh, I hate this song. And people will be like, why do you hate this song, Kiki? Do you love? And they'd be like, no, stop. I don't want to talk about it. Those kinds of coincidences always remind me of my friend Amy Krauss Rosenthal, who was fascinated by coincidence and who often wrote that she understood that life was random and that coincidences were not meaningful inherently 
but that you could still make meaning out of whatever you want to. And I think that's so true. And so maybe Kiki's ex-boyfriend, maybe you can make some kind of positively meaningful coincidence out of this. I don't know. That's my only thread of hope. We do have another question about computer simulations, though, Hank. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I'm, not, I'm actually not surprised. I've been hearing a lot about computer simulations lately. The question is from Micah. Dear John and Hank, I was excited to find out that mystery socks are available at the DFTBA online store, and I immediately went to DFTBA.com to buy some, and it was a great <laughs> experience. But I have a question about birds. <laughs> I mean, it... it we uh, we should probably try to integrate more of our sponsors in this way. Let the question do the do the work of the sponsor promo. Let's. Oh man, I really enjoyed the new game from Bananagrams, but I have a question about donkeys. <laughs> I work at a coffee shop, and it gets really boring. And this evening, I was standing outside the back door, gazing across a grassy field, when I noticed oh. a bird flying around. But then. It stopped moving in the air, but kept flapping its wings. It looked like something had tied a string to its tail and was holding it back from moving. It was hovering like people do in those fake skydiving places. It was <laughs> flapping its wings so hard, but going nowhere. And it looked kind of like a glitch in a video game. Is this a metaphor for the constant and ultimately pointless pursuit of meaning in our lives? Or is this proof that we are living in a simulation? I'm not a rock or a book. I'm just Micah. John, do you know what? So first of all, I you say you're at your coffee shop and you like walk out the back of your coffee shop and there's just a field with birds. This isn't how I picture most coffee shops. Where is this? Yeah, Micah, it might be that your work is boring because you're working in a coffee shop in the middle of a field. <laughs> like you might have located your business in the wrong location. Yeah, I mean, you might want to write a letter to your manager just saying like, maybe we should have put it not in a field. Hey, the birds, the birds don't want coffee, Susan. The birds don't want coffee. Listen, Susan, this is a crazy idea, but what if our coffee shop was accessible by road? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to drive an ATV to it. That would be great. Um, you have to walk so through three miles of corn. <laughs> so there are some uh, birds of prey, small birds of prey that do this, um, and they will fly looking for things that might be food, and then they will stop, and they can actually flap there over the thing before they go and get the thing. Oh. Uh, the, the rodent, or whatever it is that looked tasty to them. So that's probably what's going on. Um, uh, kestrels can do this. They, so probably what you saw was a kestrel flying around looking for uh, a snack, and it saw something that might be a snack, and it was hanging there looking and seeing if it had a good good line on this little piece of snack. Well, that's good news. So it's not a glitch in the Matrix, yeah. and we're definitely not living in a simulation, Micah. Don't worry about that. I, <laughs> I've started to not want to make jokes about living in a simulation anymore because I've started to see people who are like legitimately on the conspiracy train about being in a simulation. Oh, I think it's perfectly possible that we're living in a simulation. I just don't think it's an interesting line of inquiry. It's like asking how many angels you can fit on the head of a pin. It doesn't matter. I think that it's so here's my here's my hot take on whether we're living in a simulation. I think that <laughs> that uh, knowing that I lived in a simulation 
motivation would be interesting from a cosmological perspective of like trying to understand the nature of the universe, but it would not at all affect, affect the way that I live my life. Right. Because I might as well be living in a simulation, right? Like the there is no objective meaning or value. I apply all of that myself and we do that collectively as a as a species and as living things on this planet. And uh, it, it, but like external to that, no, who the frick? No, no, no. There's nothing there. So it's all on us anyway, whether it's a simulation or whether it's just a very complicated, weird, expanding bubble of space time. Yeah, no, I feel the exact same way. In general, there are so many questions that the internet is obsessed with that I think are really, really boring. And that is one of them. That's not just the internet, John. That's just, that's how it's always been. People, I mean, we did our Crash Course Philosophy and uh, the the amount of time we spent talking about how much time people spent talking about whether or not God exists is amazing. Another question, I, I, like, I'm a religious person and I find that question so profoundly uninteresting. And all of that is a perfectly legitimate response to a question about birds, I guess, <laughs> is where we're at. John, life is ultimately meaningless and we're all going to die. What's our next question? It's not ultimately meaningless. We just make the meaning. All right, Hank, this next question comes from No. I'm going to do two in a row. Dear John and Hank, I'm sitting across from a sign for a dentist's office, and if I'm translating the sign correctly, I am living abroad. It says, they treat teeth of all types. Are there other types of teeth? Uh, well, I mean, animals, they could, they, maybe they treat turtle teeth. Turtles don't have teeth. Maybe they treat giraffe teeth. Turtles do have teeth. Turtles have teeth? Yes. Hold on. Turtles have teeth. Right, Google? <laughs> right, Google? No, they have beaks. Do turtles have teeth? Hold on. Hold on. That, that's a neat question. I have raised turtles, and I have never thought about that. Really? (laughs) (laughs) What a neat question. I've lived around turtles my whole life. I've never looked at one. (laughs) I've raised 4,642 turtles, but I've never seen the inside of a mouth. I just just, uh, don't actually care to look at them. I'm a big fan of turtles, but I don't like the way they look, so I just sort of like to be near them. John, turtles don't have teeth. I'm not giving up. You go on with your answer, and I'm going to find a turtle with teeth. <laughs> well, John, I will tell you that the uh, esophagus of a leatherback sea turtle is lined with papillae that are sharp uh, and keratinized. So they um, they are like teeth, but they don't go where teeth go. They're on the throat and in the cheeks. Mm. And if you see a picture of it, you will make this noise. So there you go. That dentist in the country you're visiting treats turtle <laughs> teeth-like structures on the turtle tongue. Yeah. You know, keratinized papillae. Oh, man, I wish I hadn't Googled that. <laughs> Guys, no matter what you do, never Google turtle tongue teeth. <laughs> Don't ever do it. Oh, God. Oh, what's the oh noise, Lord. John? What's the noise you make? Oh, gee, oh God. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Oh, God. That's the. Do you know that leatherback sea turtles can eat 85% of their weight in jellyfish every day? So, how many jellyfish have, like, get slumped by those things? Ugh. Not enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> John is now a fan of the 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 keratinized papillae because now he knows that they they remove jellyfish from the oceans because you hate jellyfish. Yeah, apparently. I'm back on. Jeez, I'm back on Team Turtle. <laughs> oh man, I love I love jellyfish and turtles. It's the circle of life. This next question comes from Carolyn, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I live with my boyfriend, and I'm often the one who does the laundry in the house. As a result, I tend to find a lot of loose pocket change, which I add to my change jar. Of course. I believe this is standard laundry practice that the person who does the laundry gets the loose change, but I still feel like I'm siphoning off. Yes, siphoning money off your boyfriend. Yes, you're doing that. No. He is very absent-minded and leaves no, lots of change in his pockets. What? And also Hank. lots of tissues. Hank, we're about to have our biggest fight ever. No, you can't. This is just theft. No, it is not theft. It is payment for services rendered. I just started a load of laundry which contained two dollars and two tissues. Is this fair exchange? Yes. And what monetary qu- quantity do I need to return? The- but what? No, this is stealing. Does he know? Is there an agreement in place? Have you signed a contract? Hank, if you're doing laundry, anything that is left in the pockets of the laundry is yours. That's one of the, like, great organizing principles of the universe. Like, if you don't want to lose your pocket change, or, by the way, a $100 bill, or $47,000 in cash, or whatever is in your pockets, then empty out your flipping pockets before you put it in the dirty laundry basket. Like, anything you put in the dirty laundry basket, the person who does that laundry gets to keep. Hard stop. Mm, nope. Oh, yes. No. So like there's this idea that this is some kind of established contract that you seem to think everybody knows about. But I clearly do not know about it. So not everyone knows about it. My only conclusion is that you've literally never been to a laundromat. What do you mean I've never been to a lot? Like who does your laundry at the laundromat? You do your own laundry. Nobody's nobody's touching my pockets. In the many years when I lived with roommates, if I did their laundry or they did mine, whatever was in the pockets was 100% fair game. Why did you do your roommate's laundry? Because, like, crap would be lying on the floor and one person would do it or the other person would do it. Like, even when, but when Catherine and I were dating, I didn't take the money when I did her laundry. That was her money. No, no, it's it's your money if you pull it out of your pockets before putting it in the uh, before putting it in the laundry. It is the moment it hits the laundry pile and you don't do the laundry, you lose all rights to that money. I mean, I I hear I hear that this is a rule that you can set up in your home, but it is not a rule that is implicit in society. But I will say, John, that I did do this to you when I did your laundry when we <laughs> lived together, and I felt bad about it every time. Well, I you knew that it okay. was theft, and I just did it. All right, I completely absolve you of any guilt that you feel <laughs> over stealing forty cents from me when you were cleaning my pants. However. <laughs> Since we brought it up, I do not absolve you for selling my flipping baseball card collection on eBay without consulting me. Uh, I mean, that was worse than the, than the pants thing. 
Yeah, it was considerably worse. You made like $800 off of my baseball cards that were a huge part of my childhood. You left them at the house and you just left them there. I didn't take them to my dorm room when I went to college. That's not the same thing as no longer (laughs) wanting to own my Carl Yastrzemski rookie card. It's sort of amazing that, uh, that like, of the things I've done, uh, I've actually gotten not as much... Uh, flack for that as I should have like you've you've been very kind about that over the years I like I have I have friends I've lost over much less yeah just to be clear it's not even that it was that bad of a thing to do it's just that it was so weird I don't know to me it speaks to your absolute obsession with turning things into money (laughs) but uh yeah if you yeah yeah if you want to um it's it's just like how do you how am i gonna monetize my boredom because honestly if you want to psychoanalyze me it's that i was bored and i was like how do i do something that will make my time seem worthwhile yeah well as like a as like a 15 year old why don't i sell my brother's four thousand very carefully organized baseball cards while he's working at outtakes restaurant in homewood alabama he's making this you're making this sound making this sound worse than it was i don't know how many baseball cards there were i don't remember any of this i plead the fifth <laughs> the statute of limitations are is out on this one i'm i'm done no more oh wow that's I, impressive. I, I will not submit that's to further a, questioning I, will, I turned down the subpoena okay this next all right okay we are well and truly off the rails this next question comes from emmy who writes dear john and hank i recently deleted twitter congratulations emmy due to reasons concerning my mental health yes no that's implied in the sentence i recently deleted twitter but there are times when i miss it oh emmy we all miss <laughs> things that are bad for us but we stop them anyway how do you think i feel about smoking cigarettes anyway i was wondering if you could fill me in on everything i'm missing on twitter also what's lin-manuel miranda up to these days oscars and <laughs> emmy very good name specific sign off uh lin-manuel miranda is wonderful he's very sweet he doesn't he doesn't seem to interact that much with twitter except to say nice things on it for the most part which is probably the right way to do it what else are you missing boy boy i don't even know where to start there people are confused and frustrated yeah i mean emmy i would i'd stay off I'm sorry, I was trying to answer your question, Emmy, but it required me to get on Twitter, and now I've been sucked into the vortex, so I'm having a little trouble paying attention. Yeah, literally, literally, like, you asked the question about Twitter, and John and I are both like, what? Huh? What is it? I hate... Like, what'd you say, John? I didn't hear you. I hate the way Twitter makes me feel, and I hate the way it makes me act, and I hate the way it makes me interact, which is actually, come to think of it, not dissimilar to how I felt about smoking cigarettes for the last eight years that I smoked cigarettes. There is a, here's, here's a little update, John. From Hank did not hear anything I just cr- said, BT does. It's so, so very correct, because I was looking at the Twitter feed for Delete This, uh, which follows three people. Um, yep. Delete This follows uh, Susie Dent, the linguist, um, yep. and uh, Hank Green, the author of an absolutely remarkable thing. It comes out September 25th and is available for pre-order now. And we, yep. and we rate dogs. Um, right. So the, that, that Twitter feed, honestly, that's probably about what I'm looking for. I would argue that you could take Hank off of it. <laughs> might, might be a good choice, honestly. I find a lot of Hank's tweets to be engaged in unhealthy ways with the feed. Uh, y- that, y- Honestly, if you go and look at my feed versus your feed recently, 
I think uh, maybe in the last 24 hours, but I just deleted Twitter off my phone while we were having this conversation because (laughs) Emmy's question made me realize that I think I'm done. Like I needed to quit smoking. And there were a lot of people who were like, hey, you know what you need to do? Quit smoking. And I'd be like, yeah, no, I mean, I probably should. It's I, I recognize it's not great for me, but that's it. I'm quitting smoking. I need to quit smoking, Hank. This is ridiculous. Like, I, why can't I be an adult about this? I quit smoking. I can quit this. Well, as you know, John, I have a podcast called Delete This with my wife uh, where I talk about my my connection with social media and through thinking about that, the thing that I can't leave behind is this feeling that this is how this is how the conversation is being had right now. And if people like all remove themselves from it, and I'm not saying like don't treat it more in a more healthy way, don't like can, like don't like change the way you think about it, both in terms of like your use of it and in terms of of how you connect with people through it. But I, I feel like if you just if we leave the conversation up to everyone who is not thinking constructively, then then like do what do we lose? Like am I I might be wrong, but it feels like this is where the this is where the the conversation is being had, and so like we need to be where the conversation is. I think you're wrong. Over ninety five percent of people do not post a tweet on any given day. 85% of Americans do not look at Twitter on any given day. I don't think the conversation is having happening on Twitter. I think our conversation is happening on Twitter. I think Twitter is very good at making us feel like a big, important, central conversation is happening on Twitter. But I just don't think that Twitter is essential to my survival. Now, I will get on it in September to tell everybody to buy your book, and I will continue <laughs> to use it for self-promo, but I don't know. Something about Emmy's question really reinforced to me that it isn't making my life better, and it isn't, and it it is harming my life. And I get something in exchange for that. Like I understand what she means about like there are times when I miss it, but I don't get enough in exchange for it for what it's costing me. Yeah, and I think that's a decision that has to be made individually. But like my, I I do feel like, and and of course that there is a tremendous amount of like selection bias here like of course I feel like this is where I think the conversation is having because it's where I'm having a conversation but like I I do feel like they're you know like I I need to be aware of how people are communicating right now and and also need to be ideally in some way a positive part of that communication so so for me it's more like how do I treat this in a more healthy way than how do I not use it it's 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 less cigarettes and more coffee, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure that for me there's uh, any any safe dosage. Mm-hmm. Also, I need coffee. Like, it's not, to me, it's not like food is not a good comp. John, just to be clear, coffee is not food. Yeah, but I need it every day. So it's kind of like food. No, it's not. You don't need coffee. I do. Maybe, maybe no, one doesn't. <laughs> uh, do you want another question? Yeah. This one is from Bowl Recipient. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I already know what this question is. Dear Hank John, my mother-in-law's... I've been there, Bowl Recipient. (laughs) My mother-in-law is a fan of giving gifts that she would like without considering whether the person receiving it would like it. Objects she has given me uh, and various people include giant glass orbs, giant commemorative coins, and the gift I received recently, an oddly shaped, expensive decorative bowl. 
parenthesis, not giant. I don't know what to do with this bowl. I feel like putting things in it would be inappropriate. Due to its three-dimensional nature, it takes up a lot of space when it's displayed as a bowl. Space I don't really have. I could get a mount for the bowl, but I worry that I would somehow display it incorrectly. I do not like this bowl. I cannot get rid of this bowl. Please help me figure out what to do. Sincerely, bowl recipient. I like that they didn't want us to use their name because yeah. their mother-in-law mm-hmm. probably listens to the pod and would is probably <laughs> right now like, well, I mean, it's a good thing that my daughter-in-law loves bowls. <laughs> yeah, she, she doesn't have any problems with the bowl I've given her. Right, you, this must be a real problem for other people. You, bowl recipient, here's what you got to do. You got to say, thank you so much for this bowl. I love it. And get ready for the rest of your life collecting bowls. No, no, no. Why? We've disagreed for the, this is the most we've ever disagreed on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what's in the, I don't know what's in the water today, but I completely agree that you have to accept the bowl and say that you love it. You don't have to be so enthusiastic that your mother-in-law now thinks that you're a huge bowl fan and starts <laughs> buying you a bowl on, on, on her various travels. I think, th- oh. though, th- this is the key, bowl recipient. When your mother-in-law is visiting or is about to visit, you put out the bowl. Maybe you put a couple pears in there. I don't know how you handle it, but you put the bowl out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then when your mother-in-law isn't visiting, you put the bowl away. But where's away? It doesn't sound like there's a ton of place to put this bowl. Oh, you have to have... Well, no, you got, maybe you have to get a piece of furniture... And on the very inside of it, you just have labeled crap from my mother-in-law. And it's great to have all of that stuff together. By the way, my mother-in-law is wonderful and gives great gifts. <laughs> um, just for the record. That's the truth. I'm, I'm saying the truth. But I'm also saying that just to be 100% clear because she does listen to the podcast. I love you, Connie. And thank you for all of your wonderful gifts over the years. Moving on. <laughs> You just have a little area of your house that's like stuff from for when my mother-in-law visits. And then right before your mother-in-law comes, you grab everything out of that little closet and you put it around your house in various places. <laughs> and you just do that for the rest of your life because that is the best solution. Yeah, you go to, well, you got to like go to the container store and get something that's going to fit under your bed or something. It sounds like maybe you live in a pretty small place and you don't want to like be harboring bowls for no reason, but you have to harbor bowls and it's not no reason. It is a reason. It's just not that you love this bowl. It's a separate reason from your, your feelings about the bowl. Right. No, it's about you loving your family and dealing with the minor inconveniences that a company love. I will say, bowl recipient, that one strategy you might try is sitting down with your mother-in-law and saying, hey, would you like to watch an episode of The Simpsons? And show her the episode of The Simpsons where Homer gives Marge a birthday present that is a bowling ball drilled to his fingers. I mean, but that's not that's not this because the the mother-in-law isn't giving you a gift for her. She's giving you a gift that she would like, which is right. a, a, a not not it's a failure of empathy. It is right. not a explicit uh removal of your value to her value. But I think that a lot of people are like, "Oh man, I love so much the beautiful bowls that I have in my house." But it's also a little bit of a statement on, like, wouldn't you like to make your place look nicer? Here's a bowl. Put some fake fruit in it. 
Yeah, it's a, it, it's a smidge passive aggressive for sure. But again, these are the little prices that you pay mm-hmm. in order to live in community with other people. So I think it's worth it, bull recipient. But if you want to make a stink about it, it's up to you. I think that one thing that's weird about decorative bowls is that you can't put that many things in them. But there are some things you could put in them. I feel like if you put them in the middle of a table and you put fruit in them, then they can be useful because you do need to put fruit somewhere. And speaking yeah. of fruit, I have another question for you, John. What a great transition, Hank. It's from Jasmine, who, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm in the kitchen and I have decided to make cupcakes. This is a great decision. It's wonderful. I don't normally cook. Frankly, I'm quite terrible when it comes to anything remotely related to a kitchen, but today I have decided to try. I have all the right ingredients to make cupcakes, the box mix ready to go, but I'm out of eggs. Jasmine, hold on. You You don't don't have have all all the ingredients. ingredients. (laughs) Jasmine, there's only two ingredients, the box mix and eggs. (laughs) Maybe some milk. You have, you're missing at least 33% of the ingredients, Jasmine. <laughs> you made it sound like you're almost all the way there, yeah. but no, you're at most two-thirds of the way there. I'm a bit disappointed, and I wanted to make these cupcakes for my friends, and it got me wondering, what can I use instead of eggs? And why does a cake even need eggs? Bunch of reasons, first oh off. Oh my gosh. Oh my uh, Eggs are this... pretty important to baking, but you can use other things. So Yes. Sarah and I have actually experimented with this. What most people use that I've seen is like a weird mix of water and baking powder and oil. But mm-hmm. if you don't have eggs, I'm kind of suspicious as to whether you have baking powder. <laughs> Another thing yeah. that people use is applesauce. Which, yeah, like a, like a quarter cup of applesauce. It's not going to be as good, but it adds some of the, adds some of the, the protein. The problem and- is your chocolate cupcakes are a yeah. little apple My favorite thing, actually, we made chocolate cupcakes once using bananas instead of eggs, and that was quite good because a chocolate banana combo is tasty, but it will make your cupcakes taste like bananas. Right. That will. That is a thing that happens. So what I, Jasmine, a thing that I just want to say to you generally is that like you're asking too many questions. We don't need to know why cakes need eggs. I bet there's a reason. I bet you could Google it and find it out. But look, you and me, Jasmine, we're not we're not experts. We're not bakers. That's why Betty Crocker is doing the work for us. We are going to have to rely on the centuries and millennia of knowledge that, that human bakers have gathered so that we don't have to think th- thoughts like, why do cakes need eggs? We can just do what we're told and then make something delicious. Hank Green relating every single question to his core belief that people need to believe in expertise again. (laughs) Make expertise relevant again. The Hank Green campaign (laughs) motto. Like, what what do we have against Betty Crocker's expertise? She's been doing this for longer than a human can be alive. Is that true? I don't know. I was about to Google it, honestly. Great, great question. Uh, 1921, unfortunately. So Betty Crocker could still be alive if Betty Crocker was a person. It would be very difficult. I did not know that Betty Crocker was a fictional character until just now. She was created by a guy named Bruce Barton. Oh. 
In honor of... By the of, way, was also a member of the United States House of Representatives. Oh, well, good for you. I, I mean, what, what had more lasting impact? Um, I would say Congress. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I mean, but that one it's an interesting question, but I, I'd probably lean toward the United States Congress <laughs> in terms of institutions. That's <laughs> just about the Betty Crocker Wikipedia page now, and it says Betty Crocker also appears as an antagonist in the popular webcomic Homestuck. <laughs> oh, of course, <laughs> Homestuck people have have their media in Wikipedia wherever it is possible to get it in. Yeah, Wikipedia is actually itself essentially an extension of Homestuck. <laughs> it's like ten percent of Wikipedia is Homestuck references. It's just that's what they've been doing with their time now, which is great. I think it's great. I should, I should add that Betty Crocker was popularized by someone else named Marjorie Husted, who also was the voice of Betty Crocker in addition to writing the radio scripts. So there you go. That's my entire history <laughs> of Betty Crocker. Just insert it into a podcast. If you liked that, you'll love my podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed, in which I will be reviewing Betty Crocker very shortly. Or our, or our patron-only podcast, This Week in Ryan's, which may have may also have something to do with Betty Crocker. We'll see what happens. I think we have to try to finally get through an actual Sandra Bullock episode, but whatever. No, no. That's an inside joke that only Hank and me and the 14 people who listen to This Week in Ryan's will get. <laughs> it's dangerous okay. ground. Which reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by John's podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed. It's a podcast that is about... What is it about, John? Hank's never listened. Uh, today's podcast is also brought to you by Turtle's Tongue Teeth. Turtle's Tongue Teeth. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. This podcast is also brought to you by Carl Ustremski. When he was a rookie, he had a baseball card, and I sent it to a stranger. Uh, you, you literally don't know Carl Ustremski's name. I'm looking at the way that you spelled Ustremski <laughs> on the podcast notes, and I am duly horrified. Finally, today's podcast <laughs> is brought to you by Decorative Bowls. Decorative Bowls coming soon to your home via your mother-in-law. The Anthropocene Reviewed is a podcast where I review different facets of the human-centered planet on a five-star scale. You should listen to it. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, unless you get your podcasts on Spotify. We also have a Project for Awesome message from Carla Padawar Solomon. Carla, thank you for donating to the Project for Awesome to get us to read this to you and to everyone else who listens to the pod. Hi, my name is Carla. I'm a 26-year-old nerdfighter currently residing in Flushing, New York, and working in the nonprofit sector. You both inspire me because you wear your values and nerdiness like other people wear designer clothing. God knows Hank doesn't wear designer clothing, publicly and with pride. I want you all to know that I exist. So please affirm, I, John Green, am consciously aware of the existence of Carla Padawar Solomon. Indeed, I am, Carla. Thank you for donating to the Project for Awesome <laughs> and for all your great work. Either you're part of the simulation or we are. Who knows? <laughs> this episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials.
essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. Okay, Hank, I have a really big question for you. This might be the best question we've ever received on our podcast. Dear John and Hank, you guys have talked about how hard it is to change someone else's mind, but how do you change your own mind? I know what love is, Jenny. Mm. I mean, do you want to? Yeah, there are times when you have to change your mind, right? Like there are times when you're wrong. And so the question I think is, how does the process of you changing your mind work? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that like the, the, an important part of that is like, it doesn't happen on its own. You like, you don't just get exposed to new ideas and then, uh, and then your mind, cha- like you actually have to be like, okay, let me examine my thought structures. Let me examine my beliefs. Let me examine my values. And let me examine like the reality as it is being portrayed to me by the simulation and and people on Twitter. Um, and like, because, because you, you won't change your mind if you don't, if you aren't open to the idea of having your mind changed. Because I, like, I don't think that, like, I think that every time it's happened for me, it's, it's, it's been a combination of an involuntary, like, this is a thing that I'm, am ha- is happening and I kind of don't even want to recognize that it's happening because I will, like, my former self that's still inside of me will feel mad about it or um, I will feel as if I'm betraying that former self. And, and so, like, it, it's almost something that I don't want to look right into the face of. For me, I have to begin with reminding myself that I am often wrong, that I have been wrong many times in the past, that many beliefs that I held and cherished eventually proved to be incorrect, that information that was the most up-to-date information at the time was later replaced by information that changed the understanding we have of the world and so on. So I know that I might be wrong. Hank, I completely agree with you that if you don't start from the perspective of I might be wrong, then you Mm -hmm. will never discover that you are. But you're wrong all the time. We're all wrong all the time, right? Like we're we're awash in misinformation and incomplete information. And so if you just remind yourself of that, it's a lot easier to change your mind. It's also a lot less humiliating when you have to change your mind. Mm-hmm, like it, mm-hmm. it's less embarrassing. It doesn't feel like something that's core to you has been ripped apart because to me, what's actually core to me is the understanding that 
I'm doing the best I can with the information that I have, but that information is perpetually inadequate. And maybe that's like another good way to take this a level deeper to say like, don't base your identity on the, the individual beliefs that you have, the individual like, this is right, this is wrong. I think that like, this is sort of my like perspective on this particular political debate. Base your identity on your values. Like, what do I believe uh, is the way that humans should live inside the world? What do I think are the things we should be working for as, as uh, individuals, as a country, as a species kind of thing? Yep, Hank, I agree. This next question comes from Albert, who writes, Dear John and Hank, over the past few months, I've been working at the fast food chain Del Taco as a grill employee. Protocol is that whenever I pull the fries out, I shout, hot fries. And my coworkers <laughs> respond, thank you, hot fries. This is also the case for things that I supply to the taco bar. Never once am I or any other grill worker referred to by name, despite being on really good relations with everyone else. This raises a few questions to me, many of which are unsettling. Is this some form of subtle corporate dehumanization to rename me not Albert, but Hot Fries? Are we all just perceived by the products <laughs> that we produce and not ourselves? Hey, 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 Albert. <laughs> Goodness. That's a high quality name specific sign off, Albert. It is. It is. Uh, but but I mean, why even call yourself Albert at this point? That's right. That's right. Hot fries. Thanks for your question. Hot fries. I mean, the other the other problem that this has created is the number of people in the world who now have hot fries as their nickname has gone up exponentially since this policy. I mean, how great of a nickname is that, though? I mean, who good. among us would not want to be known as Hot Fries? Yeah, unlike Jasmine, who will just have to call eggless cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> way worse of a nickname. Yeah. I mean, imagine, like, walking up to a friend and your friend is like, hey, Hot Fries, and you're like, hey, what's up? And then they say... Um, Hey, Hot Fries, I'd like you to meet my friend Joe. Joe, this is my buddy Hot Fries. Joe's going to be like, I don't know who the hell that guy is, but I want to be friends with him. <laughs> who doesn't want to be friends with Hot Fries? Like, I want to have a best friend named Hot Fries so badly. Uh, it, I mean, there isn't much that I like more, honestly, than Hot Fries. Yeah, here's the thing, Albert. I mean, Hot Fries. Here's the thing, Albert. Yes, every corporation wants nothing more from you than to extract more value from your labor than your labor costs the corporation. That noted, I would lean into the hot fries thing. The question is, John, I, I want to like when they say thank you, hot fries, do they say thank you, hot fries? Like they're saying thank you to Albert and then they are r responding so that everyone knows that hot fries are the thing that is happening? Or are they saying, thank you, hot fries? As if they are referring to you as your commodity. Right, which I would argue the second one is much better because then your name is Hot Fries. Right, but which, but in that case, John, what would my name be? Thank you, CEO of fifth-rate companies. Holy <laughs> crap, John, woo! Ooh, That's not burn. me. That's not me. You, I mean, you, you're, the, you're the CEO of... 11 companies that employ a grand total of 22 people. Del Taco what? has 470 million employees, Hank. Oh, just, I mean. There are more people working for Del Taco right now as we speak than there are people living in Europe. The size of that's not true, for just to be very clear, not even close. I wasn't, wasn't planning on calling you out, but there it is. <laughs> 
Couldn't couldn't handle it. Uh, but the size of your company is not your self worth, John. Right. Nor is being hot fries. I guess we should all hope that uh, you do start calling each other by your names at some point. Uh, you don't have to do it during the during the customary thank you hot fries moment, but. At other moments, when you're just talking amongst yourself and, like, uh, you do a favor for somebody or you pick up a shift or, you know, go grab the mop bucket from the back uh, for somebody else, they'll say, thank you, Albert. Or, and you'll also refer to them by their name and not their commodity. But in the moment when the hot fries have arrived, everybody says, thank you, hot fries. I personally would like to transition to a world where at work, you only refer to everyone else by their job. Like, thank you, assistant editor. Thank oh, no, you, no. editorial director. No, and I don't then like it. When they were addressing me, they could be like, thank you, guy who used to be the CEO, but then got demoted and no longer has a title. <laughs> thank you, person we don't know what to put on the business card for. <laughs> Thank you, guy who didn't fit into the org chart because not a great employee. <laughs> yeah, you're adding value. It's kind of you to say. Don't I'm happy. I'm happy to think. commoditize you, John. I appreciate that. I do report to Hank these days, and I have to say, he's a terrible boss. Oh, thanks. I'm just kidding. You're a great boss. What? I was looking at Twitter. All right, Hank, this question comes from Lauren, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm starting my senior year of high school, and my schedule this year includes a student worker position in the art wing. I'm very excited, and I know the majority of this job is going to be cleaning various things and sorting art supplies, but a large part is also going to involve filing paperwork. After dealing with college applications, I found that I have a very low tolerance for paperwork. Lauren, I've got good news and bad news. (laughs) Can I guess which is the good news and which is the bad news? Yeah. Is the bad news that you, you're going to have to do a bunch of paperwork, not just now, but forever? That is the bad news. Is the good news that there are podcasts? Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, most of people had to do this before podcasts. That's very true. That's very No, the good news was going to be that on the other side of boredom lies some kind of transcendent wonder. But... Why go there when you can just listen to podcasts? <laughs> Agreed. All right, Hank, it's time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. What's the news from Mars this week? John, the update from Opportunity is that there are no updates yet. Um, it's starting to get mm. some sunlight, but it, maybe the batteries are still recharging, but maybe they aren't, and we won't know for a while. But... Curiosity doesn't have this problem because it isn't solar powered. It is powered by the heat from radiation from radioactive materials. So it's all good chugging around. And uh, it recently found a thing that it was that it, it was not confused by because it is a robot that does not have emotions. But NASA scientists were confused by and there was this little piece of flake in like a little flake of white stuff on the ground and NASA scientists were like, "Uh, that's kind of terrifying. Is that a piece of the rover that has fallen off? Is it mm. uh, a piece of um a sp- an alien spaceship maybe? Who knows what it is?" And so they had to to take a look at this um what they called the Pettigrove Point Foreign Object Debris. I don't know if you have heard of of a FOD, John, F-O-D, Foreign Object Debris, uh, but it is generally a, uh, you know, something that shouldn't be there in engineering speak. 
and so they had this little fod and didn't know what it was and and looked at it for a long time and worked on it for a long time and do you know what they found out john what it's a rock (laughs) (laughs) it's just a weird rock it's like a real weird rock okay so it's part of mars it's a mars rock it's just a piece of mars okay so that's so on mars we found a piece of mars (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's the news from Mars, John. That's exciting. Uh, but it's a real weird looking piece of Mars. Like you yeah. go look at this and you're like, there's no way that's a rock. Yeah. But yeah, it's a rock. How could this possibly be a part of Mars? This thing that we found <laughs> on the surface of Mars. It's crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> yeah. So if you, uh, no. if you, if you want to, if you want to find a reason to, to feel like uh, a, a Mars rover wasn't worth the price, it's how much time we just spent being like, what is this thing? Before we were like, oh, it's, it's Mars. But it's still interesting because it's a part of Mars that we would not have seen unless we were able to see it up very, very close. And it is a weird little rock flake. It's very, it's very light colored and it's very thin and long. Um, and so... It looks like a coconut, like a piece of shaved coconut is what I'd say. The kind of p- shaved coconut you put on your really terrible brownies that didn't have eggs in them. <laughs> well, the news from AFC Wimbledon is not great. Wimbledon, of course, have started the season with two nil-nil draws and one one-nil victory. Things were looking in short pretty good. And then we played Walsall at home and we lost 3-1, our first loss of the season. It's not going to be an undefeated season for Wimbledon. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. So, but, the goals... but, but, John. Yes. You, you scored a goal. And, like... I scored a goal. That, I feel like, matters a lot. Yep. I don't know if it actually does. Uh, but there was that very long stretch last season where you just didn't do that. Yeah. So, if, as long as you're still scoring goals, I feel good. I, w- listen, we are in 11th place. And if we're in 11th place at the end of the season, I will be very happy. So yeah. we scored some goals, well, one goal. And I have to say, I watched the whole game. Now that the AFC Wimbledon app is so good, the video coverage is really expensive, but it is also very good. And you can listen to the um, the WDON radio coverage at the same time, and it's a really high-quality mm-hmm. experience now. Uh, I mm-hmm. really enjoy watching the games. And even though we lost 3-1, including the worst own goal I have ever seen in professional football ever. Uh, oh, God. Uh, Will Nightingale... God bless him. Wonderful kid. Great player. Just passed passed the ball directly into the net. Um, as as cool as you like. <laughs> um, uh, even though we lost three one, I have to say we played well. We don't appear to have a great quality finisher at the moment. Like we 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 are struggling to score goals, but the passing is really fluid. Like I even though we lost three one, I thought that Wimbledon looked better than they did at almost any point last season. It was really creative, flowing football, and it showed me that, you know, Wimbledon can play multiple styles, which I think is good news. So I don't know. Even though we lost, I still feel kind of hopeful about it. And again, there are worse places to be than 11th place. For instance, Oxford United have played four games and have zero points. Ooh, well, um, let's let's uh, do our best to not have. Oh, I'm just I'm watching the own goal, John. Oh, boy. Oh uh, yeah, boy. it's not. It's, no. it's not. It's mm. not a good look. <laughs> yeah, I, I I watched it and I was like, "What is he? Oh, oh god!" Mm. 
<laughs> you just uh, you just hope that somebody like doesn't lose confidence. Yeah, well, at least you didn't lose two one. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> oh man! All right, Hank. Thank you for potting with me. Thanks everybody for listening. We are off to make this weekend Ryan's our patron only podcast over at patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, be awesome. awesome.